Hello. You are listening to bonus content from the Bethel Atlanta podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. This week, our bonus content is featuring a message from our Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry. For more information about the ministry school, please visit BethelAtlantaSchool.com. Thank you, guys. Hey, please be seated. Super honored to be with you. Uh, thank you. And the worship was wonderful. Thank you, worship team. And thank you, Bethel, for the way you love Jesus. It's really an amazing thing. We've had a, a fun day today uh, ministering uh, to folks at the church this morning, too. Just cool, some really cool stuff happened there. Um, but I'm excited to be with you. We're going to have fun the next two nights. And just let uh, Jesus talk to us, the minister among us. And he's already doing amazing things. Because uh, while we're worshiping, he's working. He's, he's here among us doing amazing things. I want to share a thought with you I had uh, for this, this first. Uh, I'm going to share two different things today. But um, my first little thought is your seasons are changing. W- would you just turn to someone next to him and say that your seasons are changing? I'm reading from the book of Song of Solomon, a song of songs in some uh, Bibles uh, in the Passion Translation, the second chapter, beginning in the 10th verse. You know, the whole point of the Bible is that every time we read the Bible, we should feel like God is speaking to us. And if, we're, and if we don't move it to that kind of expression, then we're just um, increasing our, our Bible knowledge without increasing our, our kingdom identity and without increasing our uh, intimacy with God. So every time we read the Bible, no matter what it is, if it's a doctrinal message, if it's a, an important practical message, or if it's something revelatory, we should uh, uh, press into and say, God, what are you saying to me from this? What can I take from this for my life? But this is kind of an easy one because it's really in prophetic language. It's just really beautiful. So when I was a boy, the only time we, I heard people preach about the Song of Solomon was in marriage seminars because it was like it, it was an awkward book. There was too much intimate romance in it. And then, but when you read the whole Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God likens himself as a groom and us as his bridegroom. And Isaiah said, the voice of the bride, the voice of the groom calling out to each other. Paul said, we are the bride of Christ. You are the bride of Christ and and uses that intimate language. And so in both Testaments, God uses marriage to uh, be a metaphor of his relationship with us because it's the most intimate relationship there is. And he wanted to show us how great his love for us is. And, uh, but, but verse 10 of chapter 2 says, The one I love calls to me. Right there is a really cool thing. That God is he's calling to us. The, the, you know, part of the cool thing today, we uh, ministered to some folks. And I think a few of them uh, hadn't maybe ever had a prophetic encounter like today. And kind of 
to, to watch them feel uh, uh, God's personal affection for them, God's personal care and love for them. Uh, that know, knowing that God knows their name, knows their details, knows their world, knows their history, is a meaningful thing. And the one that, that loves you is calling to you. Here's what he's saying. This is the voice now. In this book, there's a couple of voices. It's, it's the, the bride, the woman, and the man. Here's the man, the, the groom speaking. Arise, my dearest. Hurry, my darling. Come away with me. Come away with me. And I just love that sentence, come away with me. So there is never a moment in your life when that invitation is withdrawn from God toward you. That God, anytime you're available, he'll sweep you off your feet. He'll take you into a secret place. He'll talk to you, love on you, encourage you, speak to you, um, uh, strengthen you, heal you, help you. And so come away with me. I have come as you have asked. So she was pursuing by request time with him. And he says, I'm, I'm here because you asked. And it's amazing um, what God will do for a hungry heart. The Lord will pass over 10 million satisfied people to find one hungry heart. So hungry people attract heaven to them. And I, I, I was ministering in uh, Perth, Australia a couple weeks ago at a conference and um, when the conference was uh, over, between meetings, I had an afternoon off, and my wife and I went to the ocean about an hour, I, I think, away, and we were just enjoying the beautiful Australian landscape and ocean, and I was in a shop, and a woman uh, um, you know, started crying right up to me. She said, I, 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 I belong to that church, and I couldn't come. I had to work, and, and so right there, I just prophesied over her for quite a bit, right in her little uh uh, mall shop, and uh, she was crying, and she was uh, um, having an encounter, and, and my whole point is that God will go to great lengths to minister to hungry people, and then it wasn't, it wasn't a half an hour later, we're, and we're, we're at the mall, I'm walking in the hall, and another guy uh, came to me, and so we're having uh, prophesying near the uh, Christmas decorations, and I, the, the impression I got was in both these awesome young people, that um, the whole point of that afternoon, you know, um, free time with, uh, that I had was really just to find them. That God goes to great lengths to feed the hungry. And if you say hungry, you'll never, you're, you're never going to not have a meal. You're never going to not have a, an encounter. See, a, a hungry person sits in a service that maybe isn't as powerful as normal, whatever. And they just feel so fed and so ministered to, and God's talking to them. And the full people sit there saying, this isn't good. We can do better than this, and blah, blah, blah. The worship was. So because hungry people always feast. Uh, come away with me, my darling. I have come as you've asked to draw you to my heart to lead you out. To draw you to my heart to lead you out. You know, there's a couple of things. I, I think, I, I said this yesterday, the closer... We are to God the bigger things we ask in prayer. But the closer that we are to God, the more we represent him without interference. We represent him correctly. So his heart is our goal in ministry, to carry God's heart, to carry God's heart. So there, there are a lot of people that carry God's head, that have doctrinal uh, excellence and biblical knowledge, but without God's heart, that that truth sometimes doesn't have its, or rarely has its full in, impact. 
you know, the truth uh, spoken in love. And uh, whenever love is absent from truth, truth becomes an error. It becomes something that's, that doesn't manifest what heaven wanted it to be. And, and he, 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 he says, I've drawn you to my heart to, to lead you out, to create something new, something beautiful. For now it is the time, my beloved one. Now it is the time, my beloved one. Now is the time, my beloved one. So I just want to say to you, now is the time. Now, now is the time. Now is the time. Just a couple of points on this. Um, revelation creates a new season. So God brings a season to you by bringing a word to you. The revelation of that word has the power to unlock the realization of that season. So the, the prophet said, um, it's going to rain. I hear the sound of a great storm coming. And there was no clouds in sight. Hadn't rained for years. And he said, I heard the sound of an abundant storm coming. And he, he by one prophecy, that I, then by persistent prayer, changed the seasons on the earth. Changed the seasons of the earth. So, so revelation. So, so when you ask God for help, he will often give you a word. He will give you a word. When that word is unlocked by a real meaningful revelation in your heart, you've entered into a new season. No matter what things look like, things are going to change. So the, the, the second part of that is that revelation is the key to transformation. <laughs> Romans 12.2 says, uh, don't be conformed to the world. Don't think like, live like don't, the culture, but be transformed, metamorphosed, a change of nature. You know, the butterfly emerges from the caterpillar um, by the renewing of your mind that you might prove, test, know, and experience what is that good and acceptable and perfect, perfect will of God. Now, here's the idea. Uh, knowledge that, that is not inspired doesn't renew. Okay? Uninspired knowledge, or, or we could advance that by saying unrevelatory knowledge. So it's, it's revelation knowledge that equates to personal transformation. So the Bible likens itself uh, in, in two places in the New Testament to being a mirror. And the whole function of a mirror is what? Is to reveal identity, is to show me what I look like, to help me shave. So I shave today in front of the mirror. And uh, uh, so, so mirrors show us um, who, who we are. They show us our appearance, our image, and our likeness. So the Bible says that the word of God is a mirror. Whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, not being a forgetful hero, They'll, they'll be blessed. But we all with unveiled face, 2 Corinthians 3 says, looking, beholding the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. So the idea is that the power of God's word carries revelatory transformational authority to change me. And so if I just stay with the revelation long enough, it's going to transform me. Revelation turns angry people into loving Forgiving people, revelation turns uh, bitter people into tender-hearted people. Revelation changes our very nature, and it's amazing what God could do. Okay, uh, so I don't know why I got up on that. Here, let me go on. Um, for now is the time. Everybody say now is the time, my beautiful one. Now here's here's my message. The season has changed. There it is, right there. It's in the Holy Bible. The season has changed. 
The bondage, I don't know, there it is. The season has changed. The bondage of your, yeah, your barren winter has ended. And, you know, for you, your winter just beginning. But for <laughs> the, the idea is this, that whatever didn't happen in the last season is going to happen in the next season. And so God says, I am removing the curse, the control, the constraint of, of barrenness off your life. I'm lifting it off of you. The season has changed. Just say with me, the season has changed. So it's kind of important because God will tell you the season has changed before anything changes. It looks the same to me, Jesus. I don't, I don't know. And because he needs your participation in allowing that change to happen. So he needs our, what, our faith, our faith, our agreement, our alignment, our yes. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are in him, yes. In him, amen. No, it's interesting. So the way I look at it is, all the promises of God have been said yes from heaven. And they become powerful when I add my amen. Heaven says yes, we say amen. So that's what truth, that's how we respond to truth. Okay, Lord, I, I receive that. I, I believe that. I remember when a, a great prophetic guy named Bill Hammond, I think around 1986 or 87, gave me a, a prophetic word. Um, and I was on the stage before uh, I just had spoken to a church and there was a thousand people there or whatever. And he said, the, the Lord says there's two books and you're going to write books. And I, and I, I chuckled like publicly. So everybody's watching. Oh, he's so happy. No, I was so unbelieving. I said, I'm never going to write a book. I'm, I'm, I'm too, uh, I'm too hyper. I'm too, you know, I, 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 that takes discipline, hard work and, and you know, prophetic people, we, we, you know, write a book. Are you kidding me? I can, I can barely finish a sermon without getting three more new ones. and wanted to stop that one and start this one. And uh, so I came home. I was in California. came home to Arizona, and I, and I was pastoring the church, and I, and I was having a hard time hearing from God. I said, God, so I, just, I was fasting for the week. I said, God, what, what's going on? And the Lord just said a sentence to me. Why should I give you a new word when you rejected my last word? And he taught me about prophecy. And he said this, prophecy is not telling someone where they are. It's telling someone where they're supposed to be. And you've got to get good about seeing what I want to do in people's lives and declaring that over them prophetically. Now, you know, words of knowledge can, you know, I, I use both those things in prophecy, in prophetic words. But it's kind of important because uh, people will look at prophecy, well, I, you know, that's, you know, that's not really happening in my life. Well, well, part of it is because um, God wants it to happen, and he's uprooting the power of the weed of barrenness and taking up the territory of your garden. He wants to plant the seeds of fruitfulness, but you have to water that seed. You have to nurture it. You have to grow that prophetic word. Paul told, Paul told Timothy, do warfare by the prophecies you've received. I, I just say, pray your prophecy. Don't pray the problem, pray the promise, pray your prophecies, pray what God has said. And there's really authority, there's power in it, there's transformational um, uh, testimony waiting for that. So when God says, um, remember what Joel says, Joel says, like the book of Joel says, let the weak say I'm strong. 
So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good picture because it's a portrait between facts and faith. So um, your faith can change your facts. Well, it feels like a lie when I say I'm strong when I feel weak. No, you're just calling things that are not as though they were. That's the way God works. God looked into the, the gaping blackness of nothingness and said, let there be light. And he created things by the spoken word, by the power of his word. And so he gives us words so we can speak them, declare them. God can't do it until you say it. And uh, so we really had to participate with God and uh, function with him in the realm of transformation. Another story, I, I think I said this one yesterday. My son was on drugs for seven years. And we, uh, the last couple of years, it was really intense. And drug dealers trying to kill him and police trying to arrest him. And uh, I, I just was, my faith was broken down. And I just would lay in his, his childhood bed, and he didn't live there anymore. And I just would pray, God, don't let my son die. Wherever he is tonight, be with him. Protect him, preserve him. And the Lord came to me when my son was 20 and said, I want you to change the way you talk, the way you pray, and the way you think about your son. And he said, all you do is tell me what your son's going through. And he said, remember all the things I've said to you about your son? He'd be a history maker, a world shaker, a man of God, a businessman, a great father, a great husband. Those, I, right off the bat, I kind of like seven things that I knew God had promised me about my son when he was born. And the Lord said, I want you and your wife, when you talk about your son, to talk about what I've said about him, about what I've called him to do, what I've called him to be. And uh, when you see him, I want you to tell him those things too. So I've been praying for seven years. Nothing happens. With, so Mary and I started talking about our son in this prophetic way. And we're just saying, you know, our son's going to be a man of God. Our son's going to do these things. And about six or seven weeks into that journey, the Lord visited my son. And he went to a church. He was playing college basketball. He went to a church to visit a girl. And I just want to praise God for all the uh, pretty single girls at Bethel that, uh, that uh, carnal men will come to church and get touched by God. Whatever reason brings them here, don't matter what brought them in the door, when they leave, they're going to be different. That's the whole. So he's sitting in the back row, you know, arms folded and waiting for church to get over to see this girl. And uh, I think the evangelist had a word of knowledge, but someone was backslidden away from God and a pastor's son, and God was going to heal his heart. And uh, that's kind of the journey. Our family had gone through public trauma. But anyways, he, the, the Lord just zapped him. In that church, he fell on the ground, shook for 90 minutes. When he got up, he was delivered from a several-year-long cocaine uh, addiction habit. He was delivered from all kinds of other things. Came home, went to Bible school, went to Haiti as a missionary, married our my executive pastor. They have four kids. He's a businessman, man of God. So everything God showed me now is reality. And um, the, the power of it is this. That when we agree with God, when we add our amen to God's yes, we release the promise to come to pass. So, for example, is, well, is it God's will for my family to be saved? Yeah. So, don't, don't make me go there. God's not willing that any should perish. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul told the Philippi jailer, and you and your household will be saved. Joshua said, it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. So there's kind of a plethora of promise. And so the idea is that, that when you add your amen by a firm 
uh, agreement with God, what God has said, you initiate that promise to come to pass. You just unlock it. Amen? So when people say, well, I'm just going to wait to see if my prophecy comes to pass, well, good luck with that. There are some things God will do because of his sovereignty or because of the faith of the initiator. But there are so many things that are, are stopped because people didn't enter into uh, the, you know, faith in that, that moment. So the seasons have changed. The power of barrenness is over. And the season, I like the next uh, sentence, the season of hiding is over and gone. I wanted to say that to, for a, a couple of you because have you ever been in a season where you feel like you've been hidden? You know, c- come on, yeah. You're, you're an attractive, godly, single person, and you can't find another attractive, godly, single person. You're like, are they all blind? What's going on here? I don't understand. And, and or, or for whatever reason, I, I felt like uh, when, uh, when, when I felt like I was in a cave for like seven years, uh, just hidden from um, um, most public ministry. I still had a pastoral small church, but um, just all kind of felt like God, you know, I was locked away. And uh, but the Lord said that that season's over. The season of hiding is over. Sometimes we hide because we've been through a bad experience, and that creates kind of a hesitation or fearfulness for us to, or restraint for us to go forward. I have this vision a lot when I pray for people. I'll, I'll see them at a, at a stoplight. And that's then the stoplights lasted like too long. So it's, a, it's 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 like that red light's been there a long time, and and I see the light change, and I just know that that season of delay, they can take their foot off the brake and put it on the gas pedal. God's going to go for it. So I just want to declare over some folks tonight, the season of hiding is over. The season of being hidden is over. The season of being of being covered up, unrecognized is over. It's, it's amazing. Um, there's a great story in the Bible. I think Esther 6 or Esther 5 or 6. And Mordecai had uh, protected King Ahasuerus from assassination. And he had found the two eunuchs, uh, Teresh and Big Thing, that were going to do that. And he... He had him arrested and had him executed. And somehow the king never found out about it. Now, I don't know how that escaped the king's knowledge when someone saves your life. And, uh, but some period later, months, uh, weeks, months, uh, years, I, the, the Bible doesn't tell exactly. The Bible says, on that night the king could not sleep. And it was read to him the Chronicles of the Kingdom. So it's true now, if you can't sleep, just read uh, the book of Chronicles, especially the first First couple chapters, lots of begats, might, might help you. And uh, so they, so he's trying to sleep, and they come to that part, uh, and Mordecai, you know, that, and he's like, what, what, how did that escape my knowledge? And so he jumps out of bed, and he, he, he calls the whole uh, court into session, his, his whole leadership into session, begins the process, and so Mordecai is uh, you know, publicly rewarded by his enemy, Haman, who was planning to kill him. Such an amazing story. But the, the idea is this. God knows how to wake up people that have influence to release a platform of destiny into your life. Let me say it like this. God's going to wake up your king. Okay? Someone that can help God's will be accomplished in your life. And in this story, so it's, it's an important thing because sometimes we feel... Uh, you know, handcuffed, we feel, you know, crippled by our lack of knowing the right people. Man, when you know God, you know all the right people, okay? 
So God's able, so uh, God is so cool, he can make people that don't even like you help you. Okay? That, that's like the coolest thing ever. So, so Haman, the guy who was going to kill Mordecai, has to lead him around the city shouting out, this is the honor the king delights to give in those he's pleased. And he has to shout out a public blessing and lead by, the, by holding the horse his enemy around the city. His enemy around the city. Y'all with me still? I had the guy write me a check one time. I said, I don't know why I'm doing this. Don't really like your church. Don't really like you. Just <laughs> the Lord. I feel like the Lord's really wanting this. I said, uh, thank you. <laughs> I had a uh, 10 years ago, God give me a, a, a miracle building. And uh, it's, uh, a, you know, quite a testament. But the building... It's a historic building in our city. It was really where the charismatic renewal was a part of, um, especially in the 80s, the 70s and 80s. In the 90s, um, was on TV and all the time. It, it was a big uh, kind of headquarter church in the States for uh, the move of God, the charismatic renewal. But anyways, when I started my church, first church uh, there in that region in Scottsdale, about 40 minutes from that church, the pastor used to preach against me every Sunday. And that pastor was the biggest church in town. So I started a little church. I'm like 40 minutes away, 45 minutes away. And I've got a couple hundred people who are a year old. And people started uh, drifting in from his church. And I talked to them, hey, what, where are you guys from? Well, we're from this church. And I say, oh. And so after about six months, I started asking, is everything okay? Because every week I'd have visitors, including staff members from that church. So finally someone says, Pastor, we didn't want to tell you and hurt your feelings, but our pastor preaches against you almost every week. By name, your name, and your church's name, I said. I, I, I thought my heart was going to stop. I'm, I'm a 28-year-old, know-nothing young pastor, and the guy who has thousands of members, the biggest church in town, has waged war against me. Never met him, whatever. So just fast forward. So he, he falls, the church is... Uh, goes down to 60 people. They they turned it over to me 10 years ago because they couldn't afford the electric bill, which is $22,000 a month. It's a big property. And uh, so I now sit in this, the office of the man who tried to destroy me. God gave me his church. There's 5,000 there's 5, churches in Phoenix. God gave me that church on purpose. I've never... I've, I, I've even to this day, I tried to honor him. He still sends me nasty letters. It's, I, he, he, he has enmity against me. I'm okay with it because look what happened. I don't know. <laughs> it, it turned out okay. When, when we forgive people, keep our hearts right, God will do amazing things. So I just want to say this. It's amazing who God can use to bring a season change to you. It's amazing. It's amazing. That God will provoke people, lead people, guide people, direct people. And uh, he'll use, they don't even have to be tongue-talking people or save people. They can be just people that are um, like King Ahasuerus, that have um, some influence God wants to release to you. Okay, the season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended. The season of hidings over the rains have soaked the earth and left it with blooming flowers. The season for singing and pruning vines has arrived. I hear... And uh, now the response of that, the cooing of doves in our land, filling the air with songs to awaken you, guide you forth. 
verse 13. Can you not discern this new day of destiny? Ouch, wow. Can you not discern it? So we want to be, as kingdom citizens, we want to be discerning people. And there's, as a part of this context, we want to discern when things have changed in the spirit before they've changed in the natural. We, we, want, we want to discern that. Have you, have you ever been in, in a, you know, a Bethel worship service here and, and you could feel there's something changing? So, you know, because worshipers see Jesus before anybody else. They're weathermanes. They feel, they sense, they, 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 they're, they're awakened internally because of their closeness to God. Um, can you not? I just love that. I'm going to read it again. It's beautiful. Can you not discern this new day of destiny? breaking forth around you. Can you not discern this new day of destiny? I just wanted to declare over you it's a new day of destiny. The new day of destiny. We've, we talk about certain things in the body of Christ in kind of large print, big, um, big emphasis like uh, the idea of revival and the idea of a great uh, national awakening. But it, it, those things, national awakens, awakenings begin by individual awakenings. It, it's amazing. One person on fire for Jesus can change a whole city, can change a whole region, can change a nation. One person filled with God's love and spirit can change everything. Everything can change, okay? This new day of destiny, the early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. Just love that sentence. Just all just such cool language. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. There is change in the air. There is change in the air. Come on now. There's, it, it's important. There are so many people that are just beaten down by withering seasons of unfulfilled uh, dreams and discouraging events and family problems and personal pain. And they just, after a while, you just accept something that's only a, supposed to be temporary as permanent. And God just has to come to us to remind us it's that it's the, the, there's change in the air, that God can change everything in one sentence and one word and one promise, one prophetic encounter with one prophetic um, experience by the, the Lord, just whispering your heart. God whispers in your heart, things are changing. Things are changing. I just want to really encourage someone tonight because you, you can have, uh, like my Matthew, someone who's in a multi-year struggle and you just start thinking that's going to be permanent and things don't change, and he's going to be stuck like that, or you can have other kinds of family issues or life issues. But I just want to say to you, change is in the air. Change is in the air. I, 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 for a couple of reasons, I, I, I really feel I've asked the Lord to never send me to a place that I wasn't supposed to release the promise of a breakthrough to those people uh, because, I, you know, Got a, I've got a wonderful, wonderful church, and I don't want to just travel and minister. I want to have a prophetic encounter where I can declare a new season's begun. And so I just declare over you, a new season's begun. It changes in the air. That God is up to something and up to something wonderful, and he's going to fulfill it. Uh, let me read the next couple of lines. I, 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 
changes in the air, arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. Arise. Don't you like that word, arise? I fought and experienced an intense two-and-a-half-year depression. And uh, the, even the idea of depression, pushing something down, is really what happens to a person's soul. David described it when he said, why are you warring within me? Talking about his own soul. Why you cast down, oh my soul, hope in God. And the idea is that God lifts us up when we feel bowed down or broken down by discouragement, by uh, depression, by anxiety, by, by just uh, exhaustion. He says, arise, my love, my beautiful companion. It's time to run. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. Now is the time. I just want to applaud everyone in this room. So um, almost all of you have a family, jobs, life outside this room. You're busy people, and yet you're giving. Is, is the school tonight's a week? Um, so you're giving God these large blocks of time for a whole year, some of you from multi-years. That is just wonderful. And kind of the outcropping um, uh, a testimony, the outcropping consequence of that is that you're responding to an invitation. And it's that you feel a hunger inside of you is responding to an invitation inside of God saying, hey, come on, come on. And, and don't you wish, don't you have friends or family that you wish were here tonight? C come on, uh, this is the truth. The people that need to be here often aren't here. And, 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 and why? Because, they're, they're, you know, God, every day God's inviting them. But they're busy, they're occupied, they got a lot of stuff going on, or they're discouraged. But we have found the payoff of responding to God in, in, in moments like so. I just want to applaud each one of you, because I know all of you have. Like our dear sister tonight, God paying her, her tuition. What a great testimony that was. And, and I, it was awesome the way you celebrated, and no one was thinking, God, not paying my tuition. I don't know what's going on. What's, what's, the big, what's going on? No. Here's kind of a secret about that. When God sees us happy for what He's doing in someone else, He can't wait to He can't wait to do the same thing for us. It's a test. It's a test when things happen around us. And that I just want to just commend you. Thank you guys for seeking the Lord. And and really the payoff. There's a lifelong benefit for for your uh, engagement in these kinds of seasons. And often. Maybe the immediate consequences and evident you see there's but there's long term blessing, there's long term benefit in your life. Everybody in your world's better because you're here tonight, okay? Because you're a part of the school, not just to hear me, because you're a part of this amazing school. Everybody in your family, everybody you encounter for the next years. So it's amazing what what God will do, okay? Almost all done, and then we'll, then we'll um, talk about it some more. For um, for you. <laughs> That's, that's what preaching is. You read a scripture and talk about it. <laughs> Pastor, I want to learn how to preach. Well, read a scripture and talk about it. Um, you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up on high in the secret stairway of the sky. This is such great language. Let me see your radiant face and let me hear your sweet voice. Now, it, it's, it starts 
starts becoming kind of overwhelming. Um, I, I think it's hard for people often to feel that God feels that way about us. We should, we should feel that way about him. I remember, maybe I'll show you tomorrow night. My, I have two granddaughters that were born last summer, uh, Dakota and, and Rosie. And uh, uh, it was just so fun. You just wait. You know, their first words, trying to teach them to say, Poppy. Forget Daddy. Forget Mommy. Poppy. <laughs> poppy, Poppy, Poppy. And their first steps. I have Dakota's first steps. So I'm, that's the video. Maybe I'll show you tomorrow. And she's just waddling forward. She's a little chunky baby. <sighs> just, just the cutest thing ever. And just, uh, you know, as a new parent, you record everything. Oh, my child said, do-do today. <laughs> and he's right down at you. It doesn't even matter what they say. It's because who they are. It registers in your heart. And it's, it's I think sometimes some people can't get to that place that God, God likes the sound of your voice. God, God likes the sound. All of my children, I, I know their voices. All my grandkids, I know their voices. And I just love to hear them. I, don't, I, don't, I just like to be around them, just let them chatter. Just talk. I just, hmm. just keep talking. I just like that noise. I like that sound. And God just, in fact, Malachi, in chapter 3, there's this great verse, and it says, Then those that feared the Lord spoke to each other, and God wrote it down in the book of memorial. It's just like our parent book. And the, uh, the second idea is, can you imagine saying something so profound, God's taking notes? Wow. <laughs> Gabriel, write that down. <laughs> God, God took notes. And it's, it's not that he, that he needed the information. It's that he wanted to internally register the importance of that life in that moment of that life. And... Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping I got a big book in heaven with the good stuff on uh, the, the things I've said. And, and that God feels that way. But it's, 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 a, it's a process to get to that point where, where you feel like God loves to hear you talk to him. He loves the sound of your soul rising in prayer, rising in worship to him. And uh, when, you, when you get there, it's a breakthrough. It's a breakthrough. Amen. It's a, it's a healing, transforming breakthrough. Because now you're thinking like a child. You're thinking like a child of God. You're thinking like a son. You're thinking like a daughter. You're responding correctly. You know, in the, in the Gospels, Christ comes on the scene. And uh, we, we have record of many of his messages or at some of his sermons and his great teaching. And so every time he talks about God, almost exclusively, over 100 times, he doesn't use a an Old Testament covenant title. He doesn't use a historic name. He doesn't use an Abrahamic a covenant name of God. He, he just says, when you talk to God, just say, Daddy, our Father in heaven. And, and so he keeps talking about Father God. Why? Because every time you say Father, your heart hears son or daughter. And so he was creating the dynamic that it's impossible to talk to him as a father and not start feeling like I'm, I'm a child, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And that consequence is really the, the, the breakthrough thing because it's amazing. Um, it's amazing that it's the distinguishing behavior between um, orphans, orphan-hearted people and son and daughter-hearted people. 
orphan-hearted people and sons and daughters-hearted people. So the, the, the orphan heart, the part we were born into because of Adam, estranged from God, that God adopted us into his family, redeemed us, forgave our sins, accepted us into the beloved, chose us, that's all in Ephesians 1, chose us, adopted us, redeemed us, forgive, forgave us, blessed us. And when that starts becoming a reality in us, we just start behaving really uh, um, in, in wildly um, extravagant uh, acts of faith. We just, we just do stuff that people that aren't in the family or don't know the father don't do. There, there, there's the, the orphan heart prays for this, this day's meal, this day's need. The son and daughter heart prays for the next city to take, the next miracle to see, the next revival. They're, they're moving at a different place in prayer and in expectation because their heart is in alignment with God. It's amazing. We're on that journey together. I was 37 years old when I, when I had to go back to kindergarten. And so I always picture myself as a grown man sitting in a little kindergarten seat, you know, bundled. And Jesus walks into the classroom and says, Michael, today's lesson is I love you. And you and you're apparently having a hard time getting that. And all of my life, I had used my own uh, achievements to build self-worth. When I was a young man, I was a good athlete, and uh, so I, was, I would live off of, oh, he's he's good at this and good at that and champion at this. Um, and then I built a, a uh, God helped me have a big church in my 20s and 30s, and so I'm still living off of su success. But success is a false oxygen. So when you live off of success, you die by failure. That's, and failure is always a part of the success journey. It's a part of life. So when things fell apart, I didn't know who I was because I had built my image on the wrong mirror. And Jesus said, here's today's lesson. I love you, Michael. Big church, little church, no church. I love you as much on your worst day and I do on your best day. I think it was, uh, let me see, six, 17 years ago. In one calendar year, I fasted 100 days. Not, I did two 40-day fasts and a 21-day fast. And so my wife comes to me, and, the, you know, so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I am putting myself potentially in a, a health area, a risk. And uh, so my, my loving wife says, um, you know, Michael, she, so, so my wife always she, she always speaks the truth to me, but it always is disguised as a loving conversation. <laughs> you know how much I love you. You're just awesome. And I think maybe you're trying to earn something from God with all this fasting. And I, I hadn't really thought of it that way. And now that you put it that way, maybe, maybe I should have some oatmeal. <laughs> and I, my... My last, my last fast was I did uh, forty. I'd done forty days, and I felt I felt euphoria. So what happens? Your digestive system, when it has some time to rest, your the rest of your body kind of says ah, more energy for us, and your body. So fasting has a physical benefit. And so I, I told my wife, I'm going fifty. 
50 days without food. She said, I don't think you're supposed to do that. I said, no, no, I feel so wonderful. So 40, 41st day, I felt great. 42nd day, oh, man, I told you, sweetheart. 43rd day, I could feel my heart starting to stop, slowing down. I said, quick, make some toast. I said, I said, I don't think I'm going to hit 50, 50 days. And, and I realized that I was just, it was a part of my whole past, you know, trying to, trying to make God happy by just being so, you know, working so hard or being so diligent, seeking him so intensely, which it's all those things are good, but they're not good if you do them to try to make God love you. And I realized, like, my natural father never told me he loved me, all that stuff that I, that I had, I had fallen into that trap. And so God's helped me. He's helped me. And uh, whatever your story is, you know, the, the Lord loves you. I remember going up in church, and, they, and, and uh, I heard this multiple times, you know, every guest evangelist, and they'd say, they'd look at us and say, there's sin in this room. And you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And before all of mankind, he will play the movie of your sins. And you will stand there next to him as he shows you every shameful act. You and I'm, So I got saved 47 times before I was 14. And um, because I'm like, I don't want everybody seeing my movie. And, and that kind of, uh, that kind of, I think we should have a healthy, holy reverence of God. The fear of God's a real thing. But whenever, whenever fear replaces love, our theology will always be wrong. Amen. Micah says, God says, I've gathered up your sin and thrown into the sea, never to be found again. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so have I separated your sin from you. When God forgave you, he forgot it. And next time the devil brings up something that you've asked forgiveness for, just, just rebuke him. He's the accuser, the condemner. And uh, because he'll try to help you remember something God's forgotten. Remember Paul, Paul's writing a book, he, he, one of his epistles, he says, I've defrauded no one, I've hurt no one. I'm thinking, you were kind of like a mass murderer kind of fed babies, the lions. I don't know, the f you imprisoned families, you destroyed the church. He is so washed free by righteousness that he not only ha has been pardoned, he has received restored innocence. He said, I'm as free as a baby. I'm as free. Totally cleansed. And, and uh, last verse of my um, message, I wondered how this would turn out much differently than I wondered. Verse, I think it's verse 15 or 14. Let me see where we're at. Okay, um, you must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship, for they raid our budding vineyard of love and ruin what I've planned, planted within you. Will you not catch them and remove them for me? We will do it together. Now, now I like that because the language he uses is this. I... I really love you, but I need your help to do this in you or for you. And it's, that's how God invites us to holiness, to sanctification, to deal with our stuff. And, and he says, listen, um, 
little foxes. So these, these, um, my wife sent me a picture this afternoon of javelina. So javelina is a wild a pig, a wild pig in the desert. They don't get, I suppose the biggest of them are about 50 pounds. They're not huge. They have, they have tusks. They're kind of scary looking. I have two of them in my backyard today. And it was, it's cool, you know. We're not allowed to kill them, but we can take pictures of them. So we're taking pictures of them um, in our backyard. But my wife hates them because they eat her flowers. I'm like, I want them to come. I can tell everybody I got wild pigs in my house. And, uh, but the, the whole idea is, um, never let something very small steal something very big from your life. You know, I did. I don't do it anymore, but I've done, you know, I have degrees in psychology. So I've done marriage counseling for lots of people. And, and it's, so it's amazing how, how most, like, marital conflict is a series of small things. Now, there are big things, and I get those. But a, a, a series of small things that have just built up pressure, created tension, and created some kind of, offense or separation, and, and the Lord just says, listen, deal with your stuff quickly. Don't let those fox, foxes rummage through your garden your, or, 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 or your heart, and it's, it's, it's a big thing because after being, so my, my wife and I, so our, our experience was, um, um, how many weren't here last year when I was in the Bible school, so just quick, quickly, in, in 1995, it was building a church building. Our church was 10 years old. It was about 4,000 people on the weekend. And our building was halfway up. It, it would seat 4,800 seats. It went up seven stories high. It was a pretty big building. It's halfway up. It's halfway paid for. It's, we're, count, we're in the countdown. And our church treasurer, a local businessman that was a friend of mine who owned a savings and loan, we had all of our accounts within church, and about 2,000 of us in the church had our family accounts, our personal accounts. He embezzled $20 million from our church. So he went to prison. He went to jail. I testified against him in federal court, and we lost everything. So that building program was stopped by having a massive public scandal. The worst thing that happens in a church is a scandal because churches function by trust. The little prophetic word. The awesome young man shared it. God says, you can trust me. It's true. You can trust me. But when people lose their money, they stop trusting you. Just, just a life lesson I learned. 1995. And um, so people lost their money. We had six lawsuits. I had 15 concurrent attorneys. Our church grew from 4,000 to 140 people. That's not growth. My son became, that's when my son started doing drugs. We're homeless. Went from having a beautiful house to literally being homeless. We, we were never on the streets. People in the church kind of adopted us for a few weeks at a time. But I had four babies. It was just a, so I became clinically seriously depressed. I was finishing my PhD, which was both really good and really bad. Like, oh, great, I got that too, you know. <laughs> oh, lovely, lovely, uh-huh. And uh, found out how deep um, um, I was embedded into a mental infirmity. Um, so everything was bad. And, and the Lord came to me one day in the middle of all that. And he said, uh, 10 front page stories, headline front page stories about our church, about that man, always pictures of the church or me, never a good picture of me. And the Lord said to me, Michael, would you like the pain to go away? And I said, yes, I would, Jesus. In fact, Jesus, I've, uh, can I borrow your pain with it? So, Jesus, I've written down some names here. 
and if you would simply would kill these people, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this agony would just leave me. I mean, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and so I, I really did have a list of people that, that because I, I felt I was, that's what victims do. Victims make lists and hold grudges, and I was acting like a victim. But I was victimized, but um, anyways. The Lord said to me this next sentence, here's what changed my life. Michael, if you will forgive the people that have hurt you, I'll make you forget the pain they've caused you. And it's a story of Manasseh. Joseph's first son was Manasseh, which means to forget. Joseph said, for God has made me forget all my toil and all the pain in my father's house. And so I did, and God did. I mean, I had a miraculous moment in my car, and I felt not only released from the pain people have brought my life, I felt love for the people that put me in this bad place. Now, presently, I pastor two or three of the people that by most of them, in fact, all three of them, had said lies that the paper put in the headlines about me. I now pastor them, love them. I have no animosity toward them. I pray for them. I, I, I minister to them because Jesus has filled me with love. Only Jesus can give you love for people that have hurt you. As Christ said, love your enemies. Love people that hurt you. So anyways, that, that's, you know, what happened in our, our story. And it's, it was pretty uh, traumatic and pretty difficult, pretty heart aching. And, and all those things happened. Um, but God gave me a comeback. I wrote a book. I always forget to bring him when I'm traveling. Because I'm a, a miserably poor uh, promoter. But I wrote a book called God of the Comeback. And just tell the, this uh, the brutal story of all, all these things that happened and how God restored things. Now, now here's my whole point. Um, one by one, the Holy Spirit was directing me to deal with these foxes, these little foxes. It's so funny because um, for two and a half years, what fed my depression was feeling uh, like a victim. The problem with being a victim is you never get better. People will feel sorry for you. And you can feel sorry for yourself. And some of that's just, but you never get better. And I finally said, God, is there anything you want to do in me? And it was like, he's funny. He said, finally. Yes, Mr. Maiden, I'd like to help you. You're kind of unhealthy. And uh, so God dealt with all these little things. I remember coming to a meeting, and because I, I just opened everything up to God. And so I, I would go to a meeting, and so it didn't matter where I was in America, what was happening, what the altar call was. Today, we're having an altar call for women that are having a hard time getting, having, becoming pregnant. I'd be answering that call, help me, Jesus. <laughs> it, that, that, literally, it, it came like a joke, and in my circle of ministry friends, I'll just watch Maiden the first one. Doesn't matter what the altar call is for. He's like, God help me. Because I, I wanted to get better. And I became more concerned about my health than my reputation. I, don't, I could care less what anybody thinks about me. I just want to get healthy. I want to get whole. I want to be healed. And uh, just, you know, responding to God. But I, I, I had sponsored a meeting um, in, at a hotel and with a couple of churches, and um, I think our sponsorship was like $10,000 for the, the cost of that night and the guest speaker and stuff. And I'm a little late because I still had, um, I'm going to blame this on all the women. I still had three women in my house. 
And uh, that's really sexist, isn't it? So, so like every Sunday now, my, my wife gets ready before me. She says, I'm just getting back at you. All the years you blame me for being late. TikTok, you're going to be late for church, Michael. She's, it's just funny. I've slowed down. She's sped up. And uh, so I, I just come in like 10 minutes late to church. And, but anyway, so I, they, they had, uh, you know, when you pay that much for a meeting, they'll, 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 they'll save a seat for you, a laminated seat. So my name is laminated on, you know, laminated on the seat, and I so I come there, the front row, and I'm supposed to have this seat, and and there's another preacher sitting in my seat, and he's like into, the, and, and he's not giving a penny toward the meeting. In fact, he he had helped kind of split my church when all this stuff was happening, and so <laughs> I I so I'm looking down the aisle, I come to the meeting, and I, and I and I see what's happening, and I stand there for like two minutes, staring at him. They also say, well, we got seats in the second seat. I said, you know, I'm stunned. I'm, you know, stunned. The God, he's into it. He's, he's worshiping Jesus. And, and then he, he's, he, he's sitting down and putting his pleasantly plump rub on my $10,000 laminated seat. And so I said, no, I'm going to go sit in the back. So I, like a, a, like a little child, I walked all the way to the back of the auditorium. And I sat in the very back row. Now, the funny thing was, there was like five rows of empty seats in front of this row. But I'm in the back row. My wife is next to me, and she knows not to talk to me in those moments. She's like, oh, boy. And so the girls are next to me. And so service is over. I just race into my car. I don't want to talk to a living soul. I get in my car. And my wife is not going to talk to me either. So she's, she's praying in tongues. And... So the Lord, so I'm thinking, man, how unjust can life get? So I'm thinking about just the contradiction of that moment. Man, that is horrible what just happened to me. And the Lord just said one sentence to me. He said, oh, I didn't know it was that important where you sat in the service. Because if you study the Bible, Christ talks about Pharisees and their seating order. And I thought, are you kidding me? That guy splits my church, steals my seat, and you're bringing up stuff in me? But, but, and, but I, but I had prayed this kind of reckless prayer, Jesus helped me find all my little foxes. And I didn't know I, I had like, I had like a herd of them. They're all running around, just things, and because oh man, so, just, just one hit after another, and but I, I just want to say, uh, any truth that confronts you has the power to transform you. Any truth that confronts you has the power to transform you. And I'm, I'm having this internal dialogue with God. By the time I got home, I went up to my garage, I had a prayer room in my garage, it was now my church office, a room next to my garage, I was laid in the floor and I just wept, I told God, I'm so sorry, I can't believe I acted like a, a child, you know, Lord, just loving me, help me, he just helped me, He's helped, he helped me get better, but um, we, so my desire is, like, I, I was just at a, a pastor's meeting in Phoenix uh, with um, some really cool people, Tommy Burnett, a bunch of really cool people, that our friends, I'm friends with. But in that room um, with 20 churches, they're all big churches, but I'm in this room. 
And three of those guys used to speak against me from the pulpit when I was going through this hard time. It's horrible what's happening in that church. Where there's smoke, there must be fire, that kind of stuff. And I'm friends with all three of them now because I refuse to let any division come into our city. And I refuse to live an offended life. And I, I, I just want to be a good Christian. Forgive people, love people, please Jesus. And the, the really cool thing about it is um, the, the, the pathway to emotional health, the, the pathway to health is honesty. And when God can, when the word of God can be honest about Here's, here's God's standard, here's God's truth, here's your life in contrast to that. When we can handle that conflict, when we can handle that, that confrontation, means we're mature enough to enter into transformation. What can God talk to us about? What can God bring to us? And um, the, the last thing, I'll, I'll, the example, crisis coming to the temple and this is, just, uh, this is just a great Bible story. And as he comes to the temple, um, the Bible says a man with a withered hand was there. And what, what they had done in, in the law of Moses, there was a commandment saying that no one with a physical imperfection, deformity, all the way from a skin disease to a, a um, muscle or bone um, issue, any kind of physical um, uh, sickness or deformity couldn't come to church, couldn't come to the temple. So how they, how they made allowance to bring men like this man to churches, they just said, well, just, just hide your hand. And so he came to church and his hand's in his garment. His hand is paralyzed, it's withered, it's, um, it's, it's, it's not functioning. And the Bible says, they all looked at Christ to see whether he would heal the man. And because it was a Sabbath, and, and Jesus gets angry at just their thoughts. This, the second thing is, just this is a little side note. It, it sometimes sucks that the Holy Spirit convicts you for just thinking stuff. <laughs> I, I didn't even do it. Yeah, but anyways, Jesus is, no, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So Jesus, he says to the man, um, stand up, and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand. And the moment he revealed it, Jesus healed it. I remember when I came to the pulpit in 1998 after this uh, two-and-a-half-year battle with depression, and I, and I said to the church, there's only like 180 people there, um, and, but I said to the church, I've been in a manic, um, chronic, often suicidal depression. And, and, and I came from a school of pastoral um, training that said, never tell people when you're going through something like that. that you might lose their respect, they might, whatever. But I, I, I got to the point in life where I just wanted to be healthy. And the moment I said it, depression left me. And so I started this phrase, you know, 30 years ago, if we reveal it, Jesus will heal it. Secrets make you sick. And in the kingdom of God, we have, to be, we have to create such a safe environment that we can be honest without fear of being rejected. If I deal with pastors, you, you, you'd be shocked 
Oh, by the way, such wonderful pastors. Would you, would you thank God for Pastor Steve and Lindy? Pastor, pastor um, just world-class people. So working with pastors, there, there, there's a lot of emotional pain and unresolved issues in pastors, kind of primarily because they're afraid to tell anybody what they're going through. Lose their, you know. But here's what I found out about people. I found out that the more honest you are, the more open hearts, the more open people's hearts become toward you. And when Jesus, when Jesus walked through the, the wall in, the, in John chapter 21 or 20, he forgot to use the door. He has this resurrected body. He's just partying with it, okay? He's just running through walls, you know. He's just, he's just having a feet. He, so he walks through the wall, doesn't use the door. The disciples are meeting for fear. And um, he says, peace be still. They scream like little girls, ah, it's a ghost. And so... They can't hear a sermon. He, he reaches up and shows them a hole in his hands, pulls up his side and shows them a hole in his side. When they saw his scars, they listened to his sermon. He said, peace be still. It's, it's an amazing thing that I've found. I think the more vulnerable, the honest we are about our own journeys, the more that transparency opens people's hearts um, to, to our lives. Father, I thank you. We're going to take a break. Let me pray for you before we do. Thank you for this wonderful group of dedicated um, Jesus lovers. And, and I thank you, God, that you know every story, every life, every person, and that, that your love is just so great for them. There's nobody in this room unloved. There's nobody unknown, uncared for. And Father, I just pray that you would lavish um, our hearts with your love, the revelation of your love, the encounter of your love, that you would fill us, God, with a, a, a promise that, that it's time for a new season. It's time for newness of life to come into the experience of our journey in life. It's time for, in our families, our marriage, our business, our ministries, our relationships, our, our own identities and our view of the world and our, our destiny outlook, our, our prophetic perceptions. God, let the, the download that a new season's here just awaken all of us. Let us live, God, with that kind of heightened, joyful expectation that anything could happen. It's a new day. The season has changed. Changes in the air. It's a new day of destiny. And that you're up to amazing things. I just pray that heaviness, weightiness, depression, discouragement, just, just in emotional exhaustion or weariness would just be lifted from the hearts of these precious ones. I know you want to do something because you dropped this unusual scripture in my heart for them tonight. So I just declare, God, that you're lifting things right now from our hearts. And it's your God, you're recasting purpose, vision, desire, and destiny. That you're awakening things that have been dormant, sleeping, hidden, and, and unfocused or unrealized. God, do mighty things in our lives. Fill us with such a powerful hope that we're, that we're looking for what you promised to do. We're expecting what you promised to do. And thank you, God, for Bethel Atlanta. Thank you, God, for the School of Ministry here. Thank you for Pastor Blake, the wonderful team, 
Thank you for Pastor, uh, all the pastors, God, that serve here. Pastor Kevin and Rachel, awesome children's ministry. God, thank you for every, Pastor Lauren, what a great team in this church. Amazing leaders, what a great group. And Father, we, we believe that you've gathered this group together by a divine appointment. And Lord, I pray by the end of their semester, the end of the year, that they all come into such a, 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 a confidence about where you're taking them and, and what you have for them and what you're unveiling and unfolding in their life. Let that happen in every heart, I pray. Thank you, God. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this bonus content from the Bethel Atlanta School of Supernatural Ministry. To stay connected to our ministry school, please follow us on social media or visit BethelAtlantaSchool.com.